I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome to Big Squid. My name is Justin Hamilton. And in today's episode, podcaster and King's Comics man Wayne Hunt joins me to discuss issue 7 of the Watchmen graphic novel. Before we get into that, I have some thoughts. Uh, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to share them with you. I'm currently recording this in my apartment back in Sydney. I was away for two weeks. When I left, this city was covered in smoke. And now that I've returned, it's, it's much worse. And that's due to the raging fires that continue to burn and the sky outside is orange with a faint taste of ash in the air. And it's very scary and it's very depressing and we're only a few days into summer here in Australia. And I have a horrible feeling, along with many other people, that this smoky city is what we have to look forward to for the foreseeable future. Not only that, uh, but our government has axed the Department of Arts and it will be now incorporated into a super department that includes infrastructure, transport and regional development. And as someone who works in the arts and believes in the arts, this is an awful situation. This is basically what authoritarian governments do. They sideline the arts. It's the place where people tap into the soul of the world and reflect it back to all of us, so we can understand our place in this time of history. And it's depressing to think that creating art, creating entertainment, is going to become more and more difficult. And it's hard, isn't it? Because there's so much progress to celebrate. But it's becoming increasingly obvious that rich white men don't want to give up their power or their positions. And I think things like meme movements that include OK Boomer derail us from recognising the true fight. It's not, it's not about old people and young people. It's about class warfare. It's always been about the rich keeping what they have and somehow gaining more while the rest of us struggle to make ends meet. And they use money as the seducer. Money is the seductress that makes us lose sight of the real fight. And if you don't believe me, take a look out there. We now have, in America, Jay-Z working with the NFL, the biggest American money-making machine uh, in that part of the world. 
And uh, the NFL was the place that sidelined people like Colin Kaepernick for daring to speak out about police brutality to being afflicted on minorities. And, you know, I don't want to uh, throw rocks in this country. We watched as the AFL turned a blind eye to the injustices that Adam Goods had to endure. And we still went to the games and we still bought the merch and we still supported the organisation that runs the sport. And we shook our heads at the treatment of one of our greatest champions. And sometimes we said nothing and sometimes we tried to justify the booze by saying he played for free kicks. And in some way we're all accountable. And, and you know, I include myself in that. But I I think as we watch these people in positions of power continue to push back at decency and push back at the, the simple rights that everyone deserves, and literally as our country burns and they do nothing about it and they still claim that global warming is false while they go and speak in tongues to their supposed gods we we all have to be accountable we all have to do something we can't sit back and passively allow ourselves to be corralled into a vague unblinking approach to life we're like dazed cows being led to the slaughter you have to fight back in any way you can and remember that every small victory is still a victory so those are my thoughts at this precise moment. And if you think this little rant wasn't in keeping with the podcast about Watchmen, then maybe you're not watching it correctly. On a more positive note, I have listened to the Trent Reznor Atticus Ross stripped back life on Mars on continuous loop from my computer to my human brain going round and round and round. And I have to tell you, I'm just loving this show so much. I'm thinking I might quit watching TV after this. That's it. I'm so happy with this show. Go out on top. And what a way to go. I'd be quite rapt to just go, well, they made a show that uh, made me so perfectly happy. Yeah, why, why be disappointed in anything else? That's not true. They'll make something else. I'll come along. I want to see what the writers and producers and everyone does next. But uh, if someone told me I had to quit, yeah, okay, this would be a great way to go. Uh, you may have heard me talk before about uh, Alan Seppenwall, the uh, American critic. I'm a big fan of his. He's just put up the top 50 movies in uh, for the past decade. And uh, I was wrapped with what came in at number one. Watchmen came in at number 25 because he hadn't seen the last few episodes. So he's hedging his bets. And I was disappointed in Alan. I was like, just back it, mate. Just back it 100%. That's what I've done. It's good to back things. I backed the movie Interstellar a year before it came out. Told everyone I, that I thought it was going to be brilliant. When I saw it, guess what? It was brilliant. It meant I had a year of happiness. And then I watched it and I had a few more months of happiness going to the cinema, seeing it stacks of heaps of times. Alan, he should have backed himself. But anyway, I love Alan Seppenwall. He's a, he's a fascinating uh, writer. He's a beautiful writer. And uh, go and see what he put at number one. You can see why I would be encouraging you to check that out. Before we get into this episode, also just uh, some stuff people have pointed out since we had our last chat, Uh, you know, the last podcast, I only had an opportunity to uh, watch the show once, although I did watch the ending maybe 6,722 times, uh, just to have that little emotional resonance in my chest. Feels so good, doesn't it, to just watch something and, ah, that ending, just, just beautiful. 
But uh, some of the stuff that uh, people have shared with us, comedian Dool J Singer texted me today. He's very excited about this and uh, uh, I really appreciated him uh, throwing this out there. He suggested that when Angela lies about what her dreams were on her birthday, uh, that is possibly a homage to Rorschach telling the psychiatrist the easy responses to his blot test. And uh, I like that. Nice one, Dill. Uh, my mate Austin pointed out to me, and I have to just say this up front, when he, when he pointed this out, I was in a bit of a daze because I didn't finish the last podcast until 2.30am. So I, I feel like I didn't give him the proper respect at the time, uh, but I was just a bit tired and it took me a while to really clock on to what he was saying. But uh, Austin said to me, uh, pointed out that the young boy in the Bass Reeves movie is holding a pig when he sees justice meted out. And then we have pigs decide that Vite is indeed guilty. And that was, uh, that was a nice little through line there. Nice one, Austin. Uh, Jamie East also points out that Damon Lindelof has continuously called the graphic novel the Old Testament, which makes the series the New Testament. And in the New Testament, God makes his son a man. And it appears, uh, and it's since, you know, Jesus is God and God is Jesus. And, well, this is kind of looking like what's happened with John in, uh, in the HBO series. And have we discussed the name Angela? I can't remember if we have. My notes are getting way out of control over here. But uh, if I haven't, uh, it's good to remember that the name means divine messenger or a messenger of God. And in the Urban Dictionary, Angela is also the name of someone who will stand up and fight for what's right. And so the more I think about that, I'm really enjoying the idea that she will, she will take John's place. Just the idea that this series could finish with the most powerful being in the universe being a middle-aged African-American woman who is super awesome is a great ending to me. So, uh, But, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm excited to be wrong too. There's nothing better than loving a TV show and theorising and just seeing where it goes. It, it makes you feel creative, makes you, makes you think, makes the juices flow, makes the brain click over. I'm wondering, uh, do you have any extra thoughts on what Veidt was writing on Europa? I'm guessing if they're Lady True's satellites, uh, and I've seen this theory online, uh, maybe that D was for daughter. And that kind of makes sense. You know, maybe that's, maybe he gets in trouble, or, he, you know, he's been found guilty and he gets the Han Solo situation and that's the only way he can be transported back to Earth. Maybe that's, maybe that was Veidt landing in the field. My only problem with that is, God, you'd need, you'd need a lot more Crookshanks and Phillipses. That's a, that's a lot more dead bodies to spell out Orta. But anyway, let's save all of this for next week's penultimate episode. Oh, I'm equal parts thrilled and devastated that there's only two episodes to go. And with everything else that's going on in the world, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that we have this to... Uh, really entertain us and also make us think and you know in many ways I feel like it's uh, kind of stuck a firecracker up my ass and uh, made me realize that uh, you know you do have to engage with what's going on in the world and, and do what you can but we'll save all of that for the next episode I'll tell you who our guests are for next week at the at the end of this episode and I'll uh, give you a bit of an insight into how I see this first season of Big Squid uh, coming to an end towards uh, the end of December. In the meantime, 
Join Wayne and me for Chapter 7 of the Watchmen graphic novel. This chapter is entitled, A Brother to Dragons. I appreciated your message today before you arrived where you said, uh, we should talk about Alan Moore. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, we should actually talk about Alan Moore. Like, we've talked obliquely about him, but we actually haven't uh, addressed him properly, have we? No, well, I I think I heard you mention him maybe in episode, I want to say episode three or four. Yeah. And you guys kind of touched on him briefly but i was just like actually, I actually i've actually got a question for you because you know working in the common comic industry as far as you know a, a retailer what's the hang up with alan moore why do people dislike alan moore is it is it that he came out as a practicing magician right magician wizard you know like is that the hang up because it seems to be like this sort of i don't know if it's a new generation thing but there seems to be this underlying disdain for Alan Moore. Oh, is there really? Yeah. And I always find it weird when I'm online, you know, obviously you've got to eliminate half of that for internet trolls and whatnot. Right. But am I missing something? Because for me, it's always like, I mean, he's kind of the good guy, right? Right. Like he's, like when you look at the body of work, you know, the classics, I mean, he's been on a hell of a run for his career, like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, yep. Fee for Vendetta, of course. Watchmen. You know, Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing. Yeah. Oh, man, Saga of Swamp Thing. Um, from Hell. Yeah. Like, like, the list goes on and on and on. But, and, you know, even down to, like, his work, his creations. I mean, he's a creator. Like, he's, I have that much more respect for him that he has the balls to go, you know, especially something like Watchmen. No, it's a single body of work. Right. And then to turn it into a movie, to have the balls to turn down millions of dollars. Yeah. Multiple times and pass that on. That he wants. I know half of this comes down to like his squabbles with DC and stuff like that. But am I missing something? Like, because shouldn't we be celebrating? Like, because people are going to really miss Alan Moore when he's gone. Right. I wonder if it's a little bit like people who whose parents love the Beatles mm. and, you know... All they hear about is the Beatles and then they get to a point where they think, you know what? Fuck the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, I don't give a fuck about Sergeant Peppers. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. maybe it's maybe it's something like that. He's definitely uh I guess uh with fandom it's a good question actually. I, I think with fandom we like our creators to of course be be individuals, but we also would really like them to, you know, in his case, do a 12-part Minutemen sure. comic. And sure. so we get a little bit antsy. Yeah. Uh, so, and he is strange. I mean, he is a strange man. But right. I mean, he's also a genius. Yeah. that's, a, that's In the that's, truest sense of the word, right? Like, he is... That's part of being a strange person. Isn't that like, you know... I don't, I don't know if the people are ready for basketball references tonight. Oh, that's uh, fine. I think it's about time. Sweet. that it's, it's seven. 
what is, what would this be? This will be like uh, episode fourteen or something. So it's it's about They're time. Ready. Yeah, ready. The, is the world ready? I do that on Whovians. I drop little uh, basketball <laughs> references just to watch Bajo get really confused yeah. because he has no interest in sport. So you mention LeBron James and he looks at you as if to say, <laughs> "Who's that?" Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like I wonder if it's like Jordan, you know? Yeah, like the, being on a tear for so long through the league and. Right. Playing at a like there was nothing you could do yeah. against Jordan. No team doesn't matter. Like the will, power, the the skill, the talent. Like you just couldn't beat it. And I know lots of my friends growing up. Like I had one one friend who was a massive Charles Barkley fan and hated Jordan. Right. I couldn't I couldn't understand it. I couldn't get past it. I was like, how could you not be a fan or at least respect the game? Right. A little bit the same with Alan Moore. I feel like maybe. At a pinnacle for so long that maybe people just got. I don't know how you get tired of it though. Like the quality, yeah, of game is so good. The quality of storytelling is so good. Well, it's uh, interesting. Uh, your coworker and arch nemesis, Siobhan <laughs> Coombs. She is. She is your nemesis. I'm already upset. She's been on twice before me. That's. Uh, that's I didn't. I if I saw point. If I'd point. realized, she got bra- You gave her bragging rights. Ah uh, no. See, work I didn't is, know. I'm not going to work. Someone should have <laughs> worded me up before this all went down. But the the, the thing is, is that uh, you know, Siobhan was saying as she was getting into comics, the kind of people that were throwing Watchmen at her and saying, and and once again, you know, Rorschach's cool and yeah, all of yeah, this yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, maybe it's the uh, the mythology that comes from the fan who maybe is reading it for not the reasons that Alan Moore wrote it. Sure. Maybe, maybe that has caused a bit of a backlash. I think... Um, I don't know if people really respect you for having principles anymore either. So there's, there must be, like, it, it's interesting because you, you see even writers like uh, Peter David, mm. who is a very respected comic book writer and author of, of novels, etc. But he he has come out and said, Alan Moore getting upset that DC is going to be printing Watchmen Forever is the dream. Yeah. Like, to create something that will never go out of print. Infamous, right? Right. Yeah. So, I, I wonder if there's a little bit of a trickle-down effect from writers like that. You know, writers yeah. looking at him and thinking, I would kill to have that. And it's almost like you're rubbing it in their faces, so then they start to spout off about how they feel <laughs> with these things. Yeah, I mean, I was going through it the Savo again. Like, I haven't p- picked up the book itself for... Ooh, for a long time, but um, I was just thinking today, how, like, I can't wait to give this to my son. Oh, yeah. Like, I can't wait to see his reaction. Like, it's a, uh, it's a very dense read. Like, right. It's not, I think even for a big, like, at the shop, it's not something I give to a new reader unless requested. Right. Because like, it's so dense. It's Even if you're a big reader, I feel like, like it's a slog. It yeah. can be a slog at times. Like it's a it's a couple of days process to get through if you're a big reader. Yeah. <clears throat> um. But you know that's kind of the beauty behind it. I don't, like I think, especially with the TV series as well. I think the one thing that's ticking all the boxes for me is that you know nothing in the book and nothing in the show is there by mistake. Everything right. has a purpose. Right. Everything down to a picture on the wall to. So the att- the attention to detail mm. uh, is just as much uh, present in the show than as what it is in the book, and 
I mean, you know, I was thinking about the server. I don't even think this book gets made today. Right. I don't think like, I don't even think like, say, a big writer for today, maybe maybe Morrison could get away with it, but, you know, maybe, a, I don't think a Tom King could get away with it. Like, right. Because how long did it take them to write this book? Like, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm looking at the attention to detail, everything... Well, it's interesting because uh, that's a good question. The like, so the planning was going in. I, I feel like the planning was starting around Crisis on Infinite Earths because yeah. they were, they were getting the Charlton heroes, and uh, you know they were obviously planning to use them. And then yeah. <laughs> I think uh, it was uh, Dick Giordano who freaked out. What? It's like what? <laughs> what? <laughs> You're going to make Blue Beetle impotent? We just paid all this money for these characters and you're going to do what to them? <laughs> Which is, you know, it was one of those... It's it's like, um, you know how they were meant to kill off Jesse in Breaking Bad, but then the writer's strike hit and then yep. they had time to reassess. Yep. Stroke of luck. And that's a stroke of luck for Watchmen as well, yeah. that it isn't Peacemaker and Captain Adam and, yeah. and Blue Beetle. It ends up becoming something uh, more complex and more interesting in the process. Definitely. But um, but they're still writing it uh, as it's going along as well. That's why it starts getting later and later because Dave Gibbons is waiting for... Because weren't they sending pages of uh, of script via taxi yes. for an hour and a half from Moore's house to Gibbons' place? That's right. I forgot about it. Because, I mean, I'm looking at the book and I'm going, man, this, like, this is like a three-year job right here. Like, right. This is three years. Like, I don't know if writers, artists, colorists have that uh that luxury these days you know right. in such a uh, uh give it to me now sort of culture you know yeah well look, look how long it's taken jeff johns and uh, gary frank to bring out their watchmen sequel yeah and that's still what, what's that gonna be a, like it was meant to be the a delays year. on that have been crazy like single issue if you're reading that single issue you'd be frustrated beyond belief right yeah it's almost like you have to read it and then put it down and forget that you read it because then you don't have to worry about whenever it's going to come out again. It's no wait between Planetary issue 26 and yeah. issue 27, which was, what, three years? Yeah. Like, when that turned up, it was like, oh, what? Oh, oh that's right. This existed. Is this happening? <laughs> uh, let's get into the uh, recap of... Uh, Chapter 7. For anyone uh, uh, who's listening at the moment, uh, Wayne and I are recording this after episode 4 of the TV series. Uh, We'll throw some stuff out there, uh, which is current now, but like Dr. Manhattan, you will be listening to this at a a different time, and you will be able to sit there and think, wow, those guys were really onto it, or... He was way off. Oh, they were like, they have no idea. This is a disaster. So you you get to have the fun that uh, comes with knowing what has already happened by then. But uh, let's get into issue seven, A Brother to Dragons. Laurie fozzics around in Dan's basement and his old night owl equipment. Dan finds her downstairs and appears embarrassed to talk about his collection of crime-fighting gadgets and mementos. Laurie has a different approach and praises Dan for his ingenuity, quite clearly captivated by what she finds down there. Later, upstairs in the apartment, they watch the news which reports about Rorschach being captured, Russian tanks moving into Afghanistan, riots in England, and the police giving up the search for missing writer Max Shea. 
Dan and Laurie find themselves close to one another and Laurie attempts to initiate sex, but Dan rebuffs her, incapable of rising to the challenge. Euphemism. They both (laughs) fall asleep and Dan has a terrible nightmare about the end of the world. He heads down into his basement feeling impotent about this his place in the world the two ex-heroes decide to suit up and take the owl ship for a midnight spin while they cruise over new york city they notice a nearby tenement is on fire night owl and silk specter lead the trapped residents to safety and with dan's passion and confidence return makes love to laurie high in the skies inside his ship Afterwards, Dan admits to feeling a sense of obligation to his old costume fraternity and suggests to Laurie that they should break Rorschach out of prison. The closing quote reads, I am a brother to dragons and a companion to owls. My skin is black upon me and my bones are burned with heat. And that's from Job chapter 30 verses 29 to 30. So... I, I'm wondering, uh, in the moment that Laurie finds Dan's old equipment, is, is this the moment that she discovers the real man? Uh, she also appears to like him without his glasses. So is that a reference to another type of mask and being able to see the real person? Or does she just does she just find myopic people unattractive? She only dates men short-sighted, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those, those glasses are freaking me out because because the issue starts, you know, where, where like the front page is the panel of uh, his goggles, dusty goggles reflecting the owl ship. And then uh, she's, you know, it's like when she removes the glasses, it's like a, it's like an inverse. Uh, well, it's 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 rev- taking the glasses off Clark Kent to discover he really is a schlub. Yeah, <laughs> he's got Superman. I at mean, all. and he is in, like, in his own world. Like he is struggling. Yeah. Uh, man, I just can't get over the coloring of of Watchmen. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, like I. Listening to you guys talk about the uh, <clears throat> the art and obviously the story is yeah. is, is brilliant, but for but me, John Higgins, man, I don't like this. This, I think the beauty about this is it's three guys at their peak of their game, right, producing a, a brilliant piece of work, and yeah, like the the coloring is something that always um, was the first thing that grabbed me about about the story Watchmen. It was right. always the colors because right. it was always. Like as someone who paints on the side, it's always something that there were a lot of liberties taken, like lots of oranges yeah. and greens and browns, like a lot of no nos, I suppose. In, right. Like when you're learning to paint and things like that. Yeah. Um, and it just, I mean, it's just the noir feel of it all. Yeah. You know, besides the old costumes and things like that, like that sense of throwback. Uh, but I think there's a lot of emotion. That's captured through the colouring, right? Yeah, I always try to make sure that Higgins' name is mentioned because uh, it's interesting. It's overlooked a lot, I like constantly, like. and it's and yeah. you're right; it's just as important as uh, everything else that's going on. Because if this is in black and white, yeah, do we give a shit half as much? I mean, the story is fantastic, but yeah, I feel like the colour tells you know half the visual story. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, Obviously, definitely. But. And and you're right; you know, it's uh, you know when, when Laurie's walking around in the in the uh, you know the secret hideout it it is a lot of weird colors it's like the hawthorne football club a lot of brown and gold yeah (laughs) Uh, even her colors sort of suggest a uh like a 60s go-go kind of feel doesn't it definitely um but it's interesting when he goes down there he's it's 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 such a different way to when 
someone goes to the bat cave isn't it it's like when when yeah. someone goes to the bat it's cave just in my basement it's just in my <laughs> basement it's i've got i've got sorry i've got this whole cave here it's full of stuff and i don't have time to show you around yes I, yes i've got heaps of stuff but i've got to get on with my mission and this one he's he's kind of walking around and he's a little bit ha ah, yeah you know it's like it's like he would you know you would picture him just walking around with that door being open yeah you know, oh yeah upstairs in the kitchen and that door wide open like he's not that he's forgotten it, but it's just kind of piece of the furniture now, you know? Yeah, another, yeah. Just another room in the house. Maybe you would even <laughs> look at that open door a little bit longingly, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Should I go down? I don't know. Should I put the suit on? Yeah. But it's uh, it, it, it's interesting that um, she's been locked up in a military base with Dr. Manhattan all this time. Yeah. This is exciting for her. I mean, you know, we touched on the start of the show, the brilliance of um, uh, Alan Moore's writing skills. And, Mm. you know, I know you touched on it uh, on another episode with uh, my arch nemesis, Siobhan Coombs, about um, uh, women women being portrayed in comics. And I just feel like, like, I always hated Laurie. Right. Because she was, he did, the like the character so much justice because she does come across young naive right throughout the throughout most of it like even when she's dragged to uh spoilers mars later on right like you know all her problems are centered around like obviously she has daddy issues right but all her problems like she can't look beyond her own problems to see like the problems of the world yeah um but do you kind of uh do do you find (coughs) uh as you get older and you look at that character and and, and what she's endured and, yeah. and what she's endured is uh, a level of manipulation where she was forced into this job yeah. because of her mum or you know living her dream through her she's uh, you know the mum and 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 not her dad oh, are arguing like, constantly yeah. and then she ends up with this magnificent like godlike person yeah who becomes less and less tethered to her i mean i think that's the beauty about the show as well like like there's so much more story to her right uh, like yes she does go with that stuff but there's still the touches of innocence and things like that like the her being so naive in the um uh in the end was it the owl the the owl ship oh yeah yeah you know like <laughs> looking for a light in the, in oh, the owl yeah. ship and she presses the flame button that's right next to the missile button. Right. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know. She's not thinking it through. No, no, no. no. But I, uh, I've, I've liked, uh, my theory on the, on the TV series mm. now is that it's re- reframing the comic. And yeah. if anything, this is, it, it's like The Dark Knight Rises is the end of Bruce Wayne's story, but it's the origin of John Blake as Batman. Yeah. And this is now, I'm kind of looking back at this comic and looking at it as the origin of the comedian, which yeah. is the hero that she becomes yeah. and ends up uh, in this, you know, as a Fed agent. I love that new show. I can't, I can't stop thinking about it. It's uh, consuming my life, but... Uh, oh, well, <laughs> like even in... I have know, to like, do gigs in a couple of weeks and I'm furious. <laughs> like it's going to gonna, it's gonna take up my uh, thinking time. You're going to get up there and like, so what's your theory on the new... <sighs> On episode six. Yeah. What's, your, what's going I'm, on, guys? I'm hoping I've got a few people listening to the podcast who come <laughs> along so at least, you know, a few people are enjoying uh, this yeah. new uh, angle that I'm taking it. I mean, but even like, uh, 
like I know we'll delve into this a bit, but mm. even on the show, you know, her concern, like we know that Night Owl is locked up, mm. but her heartbreak, her concern is never with him. Right. You know? Like she never mentions him. No. It's brought to her attention, but she never mentions him. It's always her um, her lingering for, for John, for, for Dr. Manhattan. Right. But she also has a pet owl and she does have all that artwork around. That's true. Yeah. It, but it's so it's Touché. sort of there. No, but it's still it's still there. <laughs> but yeah, but it's like it's present and it's yeah. obviously a part of her life. But there's no, I mean, you know, we're only episode four right now on the show, so maybe it's. I'm hoping for a big prison scene or something. Like I'm hoping for maybe, maybe, maybe Night Owl turns to more of a reflection of the world, like Rorschach, right? Or maybe he's just a broken man in solitude, like. Right, could go either way, right? Well, they seem to be using all of his equipment, so I'd love to know what the financial situation is. Yeah, because yeah. the only thing they've really alluded to is that the, uh, you know, the heroes are outlawed. Mm. The vigilantes, rather, are outlawed, and he's locked up. So, mm. but there's got to be more to it, right? In, uh, have, are you up to date with Peter Pedia? No, no. Uh, the latest one, there is a transcript of what uh, <laughs> happens when uh, Laurie's captured and it's the FBI interrogating her. Oh. And uh, she kind of uh, kind of finishes with her sending a message to saying, go and tell your boss to tell your boss to tell your boss to tell your boss that uh, and to tell Gatsby, which I'm guessing is a reference to Vite. I know what happened. The real thing on in New York, so maybe that's how she ends yeah. up being out and working for the feds, and he's not willing to talk, and that's why he's still yeah, I trapped. So I got so many theories on that show, but uh, right, yeah, we should jump back to this. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's it, it's it's we'll that kind of show. It's great, but it's like you know, it's like I think that's like there's so much more to her story um, because you know in the show she's come so far since this, right. So like it, it sets a train. Like she does, yeah. She definitely goes through her own journey through this, but <coughs> even towards the end, like there's still that slight level that that Almore's written in, where it's like, yeah, she's still very young, and right? Maybe not awoken to the tropes of the world yet. Well, it's not kind fully of anyway. It's a. Uh, it's interesting. I think uh, one of the uh, criticisms of uh, of the graphic novel is uh, it's uh, it, it lacks. Uh, uh, a, a broader depiction of uh, people of different races, sure, and uh, a little bit of the depiction of women, and you know that's uh, that's interesting because I would consider Alan Moore to be very much a feminist, and uh, you know, and the, the what he's kind of exploring in this, uh, that that's why I'm really really leaning into that idea that. The girl goes through a lot, you know, like yeah. she kind of learns about her father, uh, about her mother being raped or nearly raped by the comedian in Hollis Mason's book, which mm. she gets her hands on. And then to discover that her mum happily went back to him, which is a, which is such a full on topic to try and get your head around. Yeah. Like it's, it, her trauma is, her trauma isn't. It's sexy like raw sharks seeing the seeing the bones and going you know oh that's it I'm gonna snap which everyone can yeah. kind of get behind or you know the comedian's just got a sardonic it's, sense uh... of humor you know Dr Manhattan gets ripped apart and pulls himself back together her her origin is in many ways awful and much much more awful but uh, yeah. subtler beats yeah it's it's a real sign of the times too I think as well because I mean I've had you know 
family members, I suppose, if you will, that it was like for women back then, it was a real hush hush thing. Mm. You know, you kind of just put up with it. Yeah. Because, you know, well, I suppose women didn't have that voice. You know, they didn't have that voice just yet. You know, so it's, I think it's a kind of a sign of the times as well, because, you know, her mum, I mean, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't be outraged with something like that? But in essence, it's kind of like, well, she's just forgiven it in a way and for the sake of the daughter, I suppose. Right. And then in the end, Laurie's forgiven her mum. Yeah. You know, sort of understands a little bit more where she's coming from. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, yeah. It's uh, w- once again, you know, <laughs> it's a uh, it's a fascinating read, and each every time you read it, every few years, you always find something new because yep. It, yep. because you're a different person, so therefore you know more or you uh, have more empathy for something or a situation, and it opens up whole new uh, story avenues. What did you uh, What did you think of the whole um, the Nightbird picture that Laurie finds in like his nostalgic little uh, cupboard? Oh, uh, <coughs> and then it, it ties in later when they're is it in his dream. Oh yeah, when yeah, they're shedding yeah. The skins, yeah. And like she's the first one, like not yeah. Bird. So I was like, okay, well, like, he obviously had relations maybe with this girl, with this with this villain, really, isn't it? Right. Yeah, yeah. it looks like it. Yeah, there's something weird going on. It's great. <laughs> like the implicate. Well, everyone. Well, that's it's um, it's funny that you bring that up now because I was uh, my next question for you is. Mm. Laurie asks if the costumes made the sex good. Yeah. And Dan admits that they did, that it is weird to admit that and come out of the closet. And, and what is this saying about the superheroes in this world and and comics in general? Is this an inverse take on superheroes who normally feel a responsibility to help others when their powers manifest, whereas here Dan's motivation to save people is because he knows he can't save himself? It, it's all about empowering himself, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You know, the costume empowers him. It kind of gives him a sense of worth. Doesn't everyone bang in a costume? (laughs) This is awkward. This got awkward real quick. (laughs) Just me then, huh? (laughs) I hope it's a good costume. I hope it has some breathing space because I feel like spandex would really uh, lead to a lot of chafing. A lot of chafing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Battle battle scars, we call them. Right. (laughs) But it's this, you know. uh, Talking about these uh, these characters and their and. You know, their sexual relationships, because in many ways, superheroes, in the most part, uh, especially by the time when this was first coming out, were either kind of sexless, mm. or they, if if they, it was romantic love, wasn't it? It was, yeah. it was high, you know, melodrama. Yeah. I can't be with her because my secret identity will put them in danger, or yeah. uh, you know, oh, I love them from afar, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But here, well, these these guys I mean, do have sex, and then he meets up with this villain, and then goes, "Oh yeah, well, I know you're a villain, but you're also dressed you're as costume. a well. She she kind of looks like she's in you know fetish gear. You know, it's like it's yeah. ready to. Is that a villain or is that just a high class bondage woman? <laughs> like, <laughs> and there he is in a in a costume as well. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like breaking down the layers. Like, it's such a the paneling's really cool on this as well. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's funny. The uh, it's it really is uh, a, a, an interesting take that 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 whole moment where they first try to have sex and it's juxtaposed with the uh, Ozymandias. 
doing all these incredible yes. acts of uh, physical prowess. Yeah. And, and there he is, like, you know, they're bumbling about on the lounge and, you know... At one point, I think one's got their knee in the other one, and yeah. <laughs> it's very real. While the perfect man is uh, showing you how it's done, it's it's once again this is a really funny sequence that yeah. I think people miss uh, how humorous it is. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, and it's a uh, it, it it's interesting as well that Dan can't get an erection as as Dan but as soon as he gets back into the fraternity as well like he's 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 literally having sex with God's wife or girlfriend you know yeah. like that's a that's an interesting way of uh, uh think- punching them way above your belt buddy <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he's either what well, he's uh, so he's impotent so he's either dealing with a lot of stress I think he's just uh, yeah. I don't stress I, of the war. I, I don't take it that he is always got diabetes. Always, <laughs> I, I think he's definitely got diabetes. <laughs> There's a lot of sugar that takes place yes. in this uh, in this comic. He's got a he's got sugar in bulk, really. Well, like, he's also got uh, a, a really natural physique. Like it yeah. was such a strange thing, uh, an experience as a as I'm a, a little youngster. jealous actually. I'm what? a little jealous of his physique. <laughs> really, <laughs> it's not looking great. I'm falling apart. Yeah, right. <laughs> I've hit forty and I'm falling apart. <laughs> Well, it is forty. Trust me, it is. Uh, it is when it all starts to fall apart. Yeah. But uh, to to see a, a superhero with his shirt off and it's not this broad chest with a yeah. with an eight pack, like he really looks. And I, I I think it is the stress of everything that's going on in the world. The the feeling of, you know, he he literally says he's feeling impotent about what he can do yeah. to stop the world from devolving into craziness. And he's very much lost. Like, he doesn't give any indication of him having a lot of friends no. since Watchmen disbanded. Like, his best friend is... Well, it's Hollis Mason. Yeah. He, he goes and visits him That's once it, a right? week. So, like, he's stuck in that world. He's stuck in that nostalgia, like, yeah. as he brings up later on. So, I think, like, this is almost... like uh, This chapter I always sort of take as his rebirth. Right. In a, in an essence, really. Right. Because him finding his feet again, it's him, you know, he's been down there. It's, it's his little Hancock. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a way. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. He, um, he, he does kind of come back into his own. And I think this comic, and in many ways, I think the TV series as well, is telling us that nostalgia can be a very dangerous thing. Yeah. And it uh, leads to uh, bad decisions. Um. In uh, the chapter five, we see the whole comic laid out as a raw shark blot. And uh, at first, I wasn't certain what that entailed, but it is a physical reminder that everyone in this story is looking for patterns to help explain their lives and how to live it. And I'm wondering if by trying to discover that the layout of, of what that issue of the comic meant, did I do exactly what the characters are attempting to do with the story? Was that always just a, a pretty nifty way to set out a comic and... Me trying to find meaning in it is exactly what every one of these characters is trying to do. Yes. <laughs> Am I a superhero? That's my... Uh... <laughs> yes. <laughs> because you feel I mean... it, you feel it, once again, you feel it in this, you know, when they go out uh, just for a little bit of a night flight and yep. then they save people and then immediately he does feel purpose. He suddenly does feel reconnected with the old fraternity and as this chapter finishes, he's suddenly, like the guy who takes too long to get his door fixed and takes ages to 
uh, refill his sugar bowl. Yes, yes. Is now saying, ah, we should break into that penitentiary and, and save Rorschach. And bust him out, yeah. Yeah. Um, I always like, <laughs> it's so like, you could just read so much, you know, like, oh, I, I always tell people like the uh, funniest part about this, uh, and especially in this chapter is like reading too much into it, like, you know, he's so stuck in this world of mm. nostalgia that even his hair, the two cowlicks on either side, fit out his helmet. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like they're almost in the shape of his his owl helmet. Right. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that's really funny. He is, um, he, he is almost... Uh, like, I know there's a Blue Beetle slash Batman kind of thing going, but it's almost like <coughs> Clark Kent was Blue Beetle. Hey, uh, actually, something I wanted to bring up, you, you brought up in uh, a previous show, mm. um, was, I suppose, the distaste of, you know, people enjoying the character Rorschach and what was the attraction. And, right. You know, people really shouldn't be um, uh, putting this guy on a pedestal because he's a bad dude. Like, right. He's a bad guy. And I was thinking about this. I was like thinking about, because I definitely had, you know, I've definitely enjoyed the character Rorschach. I think for me anyway... Um, is that he's the opposite of Batman. Right. Do you know, like like Batman would catch the Joker, put him in Arkham, and he'd escape again, and right. the cycle goes on and on and on. Rorsch- like, that would never happen with Rorschach. Right? right. So he's willing to go the extra mile that Batman isn't. Right. And but I, the- it, It's a lot to be said for the moral compass of both characters. Yeah. But, you know... But that's also because uh, the physics of their two worlds are different. True. So Batman's world is, in many ways, exemplary. Yeah. Where you can have these higher ideals, where nobody blinks that. Like that's, that's why. True. That's why that comment. Like making Batman too realistic, <clears throat> defeats the purpose of having a comic called Batman. True. Uh, <laughs> I always like. What, what, what's the What's the Grant Morrison? Uh, I've probably mentioned this a couple of times, but the quote when someone asked him, "How does How does where does Batman get the petrol to fill the Batmobile? And he said, uh, he's paper. Yep. It's a comic book. <laughs> Don't worry about it. You know, whereas, but th- but this is uh, very much uh, an unsentimental look yeah. at superheroes and applying a real world aesthetic to yeah, them. Definitely. And even though it's, um, even though it's still uh, a world of wonders removed from ours because of specifically Dr. Manhattan, uh, this is what Batman probably would be more like. Yeah, I think so too. Like, awful company. Oh, well, he's already brooding, right? Like, he's... Like, he'd be a broken man. Bruce. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365 day returns. Twain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and that's why, like, it's always... It's always interesting when you, uh, when a writer applies, uh, like a sex scene to Batman in in comics or, or oh, you see the Batwang, oh the Batwang, <laughs> yeah, right from the Damned, from the Damned, from the Damned series, yeah. Oh, what a it, ruckus! What a ruckus! <laughs> like what a crazy ruckus! But it is, uh, but the character is, he's he's just not designed to be. Living in a, in a in a world that's closer to ours, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, and it's um no, that's a good point. But, but uh, I I think that's interesting though. It's uh I think one of the appeals of uh, Rorschach is that we compromise all the time yeah. in every aspect of our life, and here's this guy that never compromises. And so on on an empowerment level, and especially if you're a teenage boy who yeah. Has you know who's finding their own way? He's you look rebelling at that. and yeah, 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 yeah. That's fair. Yeah, that's a good. Point. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's 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 more as you get older. Like I, I feel like I, I like I think I thought he was pretty cool when I was reading him to yeah. begin with. Yeah, and I was also fourteen. Yeah, but yeah. then as I get older, you start to See, read it, and you and you read it. This is what I mean about. Uh, Laurie becoming a more fascinating character as I get older and and seeing the way uh, people experience the things that their parents do or don't tell them over the yeah. years. And uh, that, But as, it, as I got older, I, was like, I remember it was like my early 20s rereading the comic and thinking, geez, I don't know about this Rorschach. <laughs> like I'm starting to actually feel that there's something not quite right about this dude. I was just having a look like it's, you know, talk about all this stuff. Like it's ridiculous how like there's so much in it it's ridiculous how far ahead of its time this this book is right like just with concepts like with everything really like tone yeah uh you know we touched on the coloring the artwork i mean it's it really is like like i said before uh, uh, a pinnacle of three creators coming together to make like a timeless piece right it's a it's it's also fascinating to you know you know it's a work of genius not because of the way the panels were laid out even though that's a great aesthetic it's it is because as you get older and you read it again and again and again you get different perspectives yeah. on the same story like i read this when i was a bit older i read this when well my first exposure i went into this backwards because i watched the movie first oh really without, i mean i i kind of knew about it because right. i read a lot of comics when i was younger but i grew up in a small town where you know i was relying on a local news agency to supply oh. my comics which yeah. was what, what, what's very the town? hit and miss oh <laughs> you never you won't have heard of it oh okay older obey Where's that? That's down south coast. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So sort of in between Century Point and Vincenia, right? Right. Bay around that area. Yeah, what does yeah. the What does the name mean? Do you <laughs> so know? So Errol means dead horse, I believe. Oh, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so old Errol Bay is a dead horse bay, I suppose. Right. And you know what? Growing up, it did feel like that because <laughs> I was actually out of, I suppose, you know, city. Uh, so I never got. Visitors, I never got mates dropping in, even like through high school. You know, right? If you're coming out to see me, you were coming out to see me. It wasn't like a, a drop in, but yeah, my local news agency, especially growing up, was uh, man, it was just shit. It was just like shit. it was great because they got comics in, but never in like they would never get a whole run of everything, right? So, growing up, I've only ever read like 
quarter of this, quarter of that. And right. I'm like, you know, hungry for information. I'm like reading Silver Surfer. I'm reading Thor. I'm reading right. Spider-Man. Anything I get my hands on. Yeah. When X-Men dropped, that was like, oh my God, X-Men is amazing. Jim Lee. Like, yeah. Fantastic. You know, like that was kind of my era. But um, yeah, it's funny, you know, years later going to work for a comic book shop and find out all the second halves of these stories and, right but all my all my stuff's broken you know like broken reads because they would never get the final issue or they'd miss the second last issue and i'm like but what happened in between like, right so uh, i went into uh, Watchmen backwards I, I watched the movie first and was like ah, oh, i enjoyed it but the ending didn't make sense like it didn't it felt very incomplete and obviously had a little bit of taste of alan moore at that time and you know what was remember, the what was the first alan moore that you read Ooh. It was probably maybe League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, or right. or maybe uh, early Hellblazer or something like that. Maybe right. He didn't write. I oh, mean, but you uh, mean uh, Swamp Thing? Swamp thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. that was probably that was probably my earliest I can remember. Right. Head. Yeah. Yeah. But um. Yeah. Then finding out who he was, and you know, Alan Moore's detachment from you know the movie from his novel. And then finding out there was no giant squid in the movie. I was like, you spent all this money, Snyder. Yeah, well, uh, uh, once again, I think, uh, you know, it, uh, it has been a, uh, a running theme in this uh, in this podcast, which is, the I think Snyder kind of misses the humour in it. Yeah. Like, he, 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 he loves it, and he's faithful to it. I mean, because was this straight off the back of, or was pretty close to off the back of 300, right? Right. So... I mean, he's a pretty young director at that that time. He's probably gone for the action hit a bit more, and right, there's, there's definitely elements of that. But I think you can see it in all his uh, superhero <coughs> stuff. It's all uh, for me. It's 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 all slightly missing the point. Yeah, like you know, the Batman versus Superman. <laughs> you know, that is like you know what, what he's he's drawing on the Dark Knight. I know. I know you said he's like a real nice guy, and I loved uh, Man of Steel. Like, I, right? I think that's a fantastic film, but. The thing that irks me the most about him, I know he's a nice guy. Um, I can uh, no, I'm saying I, I he was nice at, to me. I take you word. He was very nice. Well, yeah. you know, there's you know a lot to be said for for that. But I think uh, the thing that always be that there's always he's always even now like he's still bringing up like like the, the I suppose the director's cut of right Batman vs Superman. It's like let it go. Like, well, how good is it? Like how good? Like it's been years, and we're still hearing about it. Like people still want it. There, there is a part of me that I, I even though it was a car wreck of, like, even though uh, where he was taking those characters was just completely in many ways wrong. Yeah, I wish he'd been able to finish his, like, his take on it. Like, I would like it to have been complete. So then I could have sat back, criticize and, it, without... but but also just. Okay, so that's where you were going? Like, to, you know, yeah. that's a batshit crazy I, I, place you know to I go. I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. I don't, I don't think there's anything else, like, that he could add. Like, if it's another half hour. No, no, no. What I'm saying is I wish he'd been able to finish, like, the e- even even the next movie oh, that he had planned. Okay. Right. I wish he'd been allowed to, even See though I wasn't a fan of it. Field. I, I want to. I'd love to have seen where he was going to take it because it was already batshit crazy. Yeah. So... But with the, but with the actual finishing of uh, his version of Justice League, yeah, it's like I, I think there's stuff that hasn't been filmed and like it would, 
like I don't know how they would put it together. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Watchmen the movie. I I feel like they really nailed the cast though. Oh yeah, I yeah. think the cast are great. Great, yeah. yeah. Like, and there's so much. Like I know they. Uh, uh, I know you've mentioned before, like they kind of missed the mark on the the suits and stuff like that. Like, right. You know, because they're supposed to be a little bit. They're supposed to be outdated. Right. It's. Uh, I can see the logic to it though. Like Night Owl is not a take on. Uh, superhero comics, he's a take on Tim Burton's Batman. Sure. So I can understand, oh, we're in movies, so we'll do... Like, I kind of... I understand all the logical decisions. I also understand the logical decision of taking the squid out because it just truncates the whole story. You don't have to add the missing writers. You don't have to add the island. You don't have to add all of that stuff. It just, for me, it, it, it took away the... It took away a little bit of the ultimate stab in the back, you know, to Aussie to, I suppose, humanity in a way, but to his team. Right. You know, like it just, it took a bit of that away. Yeah. Oh, I'm not saying it's correct, yeah, no, but no, I understand. No, I understand yeah, yeah. as a... Don't defend him. Yeah, yeah, jeez. <laughs> but uh, no, but I understand as him, you know, let, him sitting down with writers and saying, right, we've got to get this down sure, to sure. Two, or, two odd hours. We can take the squid out and you'd be sitting there going, ah, that's the squid. Yeah. But it's the squid. Yeah, it's, it's you know some of that table's going. People are going to be pissed, man. Oh man, <laughs> you know that's why. Um, going You know, I feel like the the you know as I said, we we've just finished seeing uh, episode four of the TV series, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm fascinated. Uh, you know, in Pedipedia, we discover that the squid only lasted a little while before it dissolved, and uh, even these baby squids are dissolving within 30 seconds so yeah. people aren't really getting much of a an idea of what they're like yeah it's uh you know the, the squid's important yes <laughs> it's definitely. really important definitely um what's your opinion on the essay about ours in the back of this chapter like Ooh. it i find out of all of them it gives a real insight into dan but i find a little bit like dan himself it's a little bit dry <laughs> So, <laughs> when I first read it, my take on it was like, "Ah, oh, so this is uh, basically uh, stop and smell the roses, but <laughs> right, like, but worded, and I, I don't know, I, you know, I just didn't know really what to take of it. Like, yeah, it it was confusing when I read it the first time, and you know, I read it again actually before I, I headed over, and I was just like, you know, what? I feel like this is still just as confusing to me. Yeah, I mean, I get it in a, in an essence, but then I feel like it, it just kind of it's it's not push like, the point right out, like right. With the I mean, I get it, like the this is tailing on the back end of Night Owl, so it all makes sense as far as right as the the beauty in you know the you know the t- talons of a bird, you know, are as beautiful in, in death and right. in, in killing and but. Well, I was rereading it, you know, the, uh, like right at the start, there's the part about, you know, if you stare, it's essentially saying if you stare at the beauty of an owl for too long, it becomes invisible and stops being beautiful. Yeah. And I, and I wondered, once again, this might be reading too much into it, but it, it, it was one of the bits that never really, even after I'd finished reading it this last time, if you'd said name everything in the back, I probably would have forgotten again that that's one of the things. Yeah. But I wonder with that metaphor of staring at something for too long and it stops being beautiful, if that was almost how Alan Moore feels about superheroes, where he loved them, 
for a long time. Or comics. <laughs> and comics, you know. He loved them for a long time. Yeah. And then he's just stared at them and, and like, he's really looked at them. Do you know what I mean? Like, he yeah. has looked at this art form. He has left an indelible mark and he has looked for so long that now it, it does not contain any beauty to him whatsoever. Yep. They're, they're people. Yeah. You know, like, they've he's given these characters human traits, you know, these... These heroes, I suppose. Right. Yeah. yeah. It feels uh, every time I write down heroes, it feels like it's not completely yeah. correct. I always, uh, I'm starting to lean more into writing down, you know, vigilante yes. or masks. You yeah, know, even when I said that, I was like, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel think, right, I'm does it? Say it. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's a true. better word. Vigilantes. It, it does <laughs> feel like that, doesn't it? It's such a. It's a, it's been a funny uh, process to find as it keeps coming out. Um, a little bit of extra information on. Uh, where Night Owl uh, uh, gets his origins from. Uh, based on Blue Beetle, a hero introduced in 1939 by Fox Comics. His real name was Dan Garrett, and he wore a bulletproof costume, took strength-enhancing vitamins, and fought crime. He also had a comic and radio series, but never took off because uh, he was quite clearly in competition with Superman and Batman. I didn't know that until I did some research. Yeah, I didn't right. know he had his own... Uh, 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 radio series uh charlton comics revived him in 1964 that's what i i always thought he was invented in 1964 i didn't realize he had all that history did yeah, you know right. that no 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 uh they revived him in 1964 made dan an archaeologist who gained powers when he discovered a mystical blue scarab that gave him magic armor this also didn't quite land with the public so they killed off the character in 1966 and he became ted cord who instead of using the scarab, had gadgets and aircraft that he used in conjunction with his athletic prowess. Uh, he teamed up with the question and they joined the Sentinels of Justice with Nightshade and Captain Adam. Nightshade uh, is the basis in some ways for Silk Spectre, the question for Rorschach and Captain Adam for mm-hmm. Dr. Manhattan. Uh, but Night Owl also seems to be an analogue for Batman quite clearly. Yeah. Uh, it almost looks a little bit like what's the Earth Three villain Owlman? Oh, yeah, got a yeah, bit of that yeah. going as well, hasn't and it? Actually, now Blue Beetle, I think it's all alien technology, right? On, on the new Blue Beetle, is that the Jamie Rees? I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's got a scarab, and I think it's uh, it came down from an alien arti- artifact. He's just basically think, um, what is that, Dark Hawk? Yeah, is that the Marvel character that they're yes. bringing back? Yeah, yes. but it's kind of like. I don't know. What's the... Um, oh. Call myself a comic guy. <laughs> um, You've been working on Iron Spider. Iron Spider. Oh, like, yeah. It's, it's basically like his suit's kind of like that. Like yeah. Sort of alien technology. Not Stark technology, but like this alien... Like this... I don't know. This T-1000 kind of right. suit that he has now. Yeah. So, pretty lame. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got some uh, squid bits here, but do you have any other things that you wanted to throw our Ooh, way? Well, I just uh, I had some ideas about the more or so about the TV series, mm-hmm. and um, are we sure Oz is on Mars? Oh yeah, or the moon? Yeah. Well, I just don't know. I feel uh, so the from the episode that we we did the recap. Mm-hmm. I started to wonder if some of those transitions seem to be going to the moon and coming back from the moon. 
And uh, I, once again, I don't want to take that too literally because it's because those transitions mirror the transitions that you get in the comic book in yeah. many ways. Because my take on it was they were on his secret island that he bought in 1970, I think it was, in Antarctica. Right, but didn't they find that? Because he destroys it at the end of uh, <coughs> the graphic novel. He Doesn't he open up the... Uh, vivarium and uh, lets the Arctic winds and snow come in and wipes out all of those people. But that's just because are they clones? No, I don't think they are. I, I, I keep meaning clones, to have I'm a looking re- at the, you know I'm looking at the the illustrations. I'm like they look very similar, right? But I can't be sure, right? Because there are slight tweaks. But yeah, I was like maybe they're clones. Maybe this is a carryover to the to could the show. be. Yeah, but I'm kind of like uh, that would explain the freezing. Yep. If it was his, because he says that, what's he say in the show? He says something along the lines of that that he used to view this place as paradise. Yeah. Now it's you know like like a, a prison. Prison. Right. So and he kind of refers to, you know, to that um, uh, to his to his secret island as you know he references that through the book as well. So. Right. Well, that would explain uh, that would explain one of the butlers coming back frozen. Like, we yeah. saw that as the vacuum of space. Yeah. But I was like, maybe that's him hitting the Arctic wall, you know, hitting over the, uh, let's say, a force field. You know, right. That, that keeps him inside. Right. Yeah. There's, um, I noticed that there are some theories starting to uh, get thrown around that he's trapped in a pocket dimension. But I uh, I, I don't know why. Like, there's, there's just some things that... I'm not saying it's incorrect. I like a I like a big theory. Yeah. But I'm starting to feel like there's it's still got to fit in with the internal logic of the series yeah. and we haven't seen anything like that in any other way. So yeah. uh, I I'm not really leaning into that. I still feel like it's, you know, trapped like in a dome somewhere. Yeah. So that would fit into uh you know, maybe Maybe it's not even his old, uh, like literally his old base, but maybe it's a base like that because she has hers, yeah. With a uh, you know where she's kept all the the plants and the fauna from Vietnam. Yeah, because my one of my latest theories. I love this show because it's just you know I was saying today I haven't enjoyed a show like this since I was a kid. Like I've enjoyed watching a show week to week like this before. Right. Usually I'm quite. I'll just wait. I'll watch it all. I'll binge watch it all at once. You know, very. Uh, I suppose sign of the times, a right? Bit. But I haven't enjoyed a show like this where I get to speculate all week, oh, till next Monday, and just go, ah, oh, shit, I was way wrong. Yeah, well, well this <laughs> is, uh, you know, I had a friend recently say, oh, I've never watched Lost. I've, uh, I, you know, I feel like I might rip into it, and it's like, well, part of the fun of Lost was the burgeoning online community getting together to talk about Throw it, their and, theories and theorize yeah. about it. That was part of the the fun of it, and uh, unfortunately, it's been reduced to they didn't land the ending which i will keep saying over and over again i haven't met anyone who didn't like the ending who got it yeah yeah <laughs> like you know like a, a good friend of mine she said uh ah the ending to lost was awful and i said oh okay so what happened she said i didn't even really understand it and i said but you, you watched every episode and she said no i watched the first season and i said right. well you don't you don't pick up War and Peace, read the yeah. first six chapters, then go to the end and go, eh. well, what's going on here? <laughs> not, none of this makes sense. Eh, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, funny, you know, we were talking earlier uh, before <laughs> we started recording, I was telling you that I used to do this, this 45-minute walk. Yeah. Uh, to, to walk uh, 
to, to get to work and back uh, every yeah. day. And uh, I've never seen an episode of Lost, but right. I followed it pretty religiously on my walks because Bill Simmons used to do a podcast. Oh, and right. And he'd cover Lost week, yeah. week to week. And so, like, I know all about it, but I've never watched the show. Yeah, that's, right. Uh, that's and when funny. I hear people talk about it, like, oh, oh, yeah, I remember that. Bill Simmons doesn't get the ending to, pod, uh, no, he to Lost either. Like, he, he doesn't. doesn't get it. No. But <laughs> he, Bill Simmons is really confused. smart, but not that smart. <laughs> He's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I would like him to hear that. He would be so uh, offended by that. But uh, it, it's it's one of those things that's like, oh, I don't think your intelligence goes in that direction. Yeah. I say stick to pumping Boston myself sports, up. Buddy. Stick yeah, to yeah, Boston yeah. sports. Stick to explaining to me how, uh, you know, a basketball timeout should work. Um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's uh, I'll 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 ride uh, for that. I always think the ending is uh, really good, and I'm sure there's someone who's listening who did follow it and understood it and didn't uh, like it. But I haven't met that person yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Can't please everyone, you know. No, that is uh, that is true. But yeah, it's 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 one of those frustrating things where it's like there is, you know, I think one of the the insidious uh, inventions or not inventions but the uh, one of the trends insidious trends of the new century is just people making fucking lists just yeah. list after list after list and then you know you see a list that says you know well uh, worst endings to tv shows it's a, it's and people an have the audacity to put the ending of dexter along with the sopranos and <laughs> lost and you go Shut up. Like, Dexter's ending is, like, universally a car crash. You know what I've learned after 40 years on this earth is (laughs) you've just got to ignore the clickbait. Oh, I do. Yes, I know. Well, it's just... You get wound up, and that's what it's there for. And you know, you're in a dentist. <laughs> you've, you're flicking through a magazine like it's 1965. You accidentally pick up a Who Weekly. You see a list, and then suddenly, you know, I'm the guy who's in trouble um, <laughs> for where I take it. Uh, some of the uh, squid bits here. Uh, I've already mentioned <laughs> that uh, while da- while Dan can't get it up, we see Adrian fight performing amazing feats yeah. of physical prowess, and the commentary ironically commenting on what is happening in the lounge room. It's like just a funny, really funny. It's a great sequence, sequence. that would uh, work really well on TV. I think. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like just the irony alone. I, I, you know, what I like is uh, in this, you know. He says to Laurie, it's, it's nice to come uh, out of the closet, uh, you know, and kind of admit that he misses all of this stuff. And in the TV series, when Angela's ready for sex, they go and have it in the closet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I find that, uh, I don't know why, I found that really entertaining. And, and, I l- she, and uh, she's still doing it with the mask on, right? With the, in the costume. Oh yeah, yeah. They seem to be. Uh, uh, oh, they're 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 the nuding. She makes. Um, they don't take too long. She takes uh, lube man. She makes it. Oh, Petey. Yeah, <laughs> right. Alexi's uh, obsession with the lips was one of the funniest things I've had to endure in ages. Was it? What? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I loved it. What a, what a what a great detective. That's what I want to see in a in a, t- a TV show. A detective say, so, "Well, I noticed his lips," and I say, oh, "Okay, the lips don't match." See. Um, <laughs> In sticking with your diabetic uh, theory, oh. on page three, panel one, Dan is replenishing his sugar supply. Uh, this will give away his identity to the cops later in the graphic novel when yeah. they realise it's the same sugar 
Like it kind of confirms that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he's letting himself go a bit. Yeah. yeah he's a bit tubbier now and, yeah, the sugar cubes, right? But it shows you those detectives, you know, because they find the sugar cubes in Rorschach's jacket and it's like... You know, I didn't click to that when I first read it. No. And then when I read that bit, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They know. Yeah. <laughs> the gig's up. Yeah. Yeah, it's so <laughs> What are you going to do, man? <laughs> um... In the news, there's a report that the Institute for Extraspatial Studies might be close to opening portals to other dimensions. Uh, this is not only a foreboding moment for the giant squid, but helps explain the reluctance to use technology in the HBO Watchmen series. I just, I, I just love that bit of world building that computers and the internet were just starting to become a thing, and then because of the big squid uh, appearing in the middle of New York, everyone becomes luddites. Yeah. <laughs> And I love that that's kind of a bit of a a bit of the downfall or it helps lead to the downfall of Adrian Veidt, who, once again, if he had probably just not done anything and let Dr. Manhattan hang around, he could they could have kept making the batteries, they kept could have making the, the cars, he could have actually ushered <coughs> in that utopia that evolved around technology if he hadn't created this whole scenario. Well, I'm wondering what the time difference is between the end of the book and the start of the show because... Well, it, I'd say it's... It doesn't reach full potential, right? Because if Nightwing... if It's Nightwing, 33 years later, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, well, the Rorschach book yeah. came out, so yeah. he came undone. Oz, he came, Oz came undone. Well, no, because it was, because it was published in uh, New Frontiersman, which is... Uh, you know, a crazy... Sure, sure. It, it takes on cult status. Right, okay. But it's not his downfall because because of the publication, because they're insane. But but also, it's, uh, you know, they, they, they're racist, you know, they're, yeah. uh, they, they, they're full of conspiracy theories, but they're right <laughs> about yeah. this. Like, you know, that's, uh, you know, it, like, like the gr- all of these people who are locked into some outlandish thoughts sometimes the the kernel right yeah Yeah, it comes from the right place it's just that they take it in the wrong direction or they concentrate on it for the wrong reasons um on page 25 panel 7 we hear billy holiday's you're my thrill which we also heard when laurie was driving angela in episode four of the tv series so that's a nice little uh call back there and uh, the final quote from Job is the moment that Job laments how younger men deride him and his better days are behind him. So, uh, tough time for Job, tough time for Dan. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to all of us, Job. Yeah. Calm yeah. down. <laughs> it's called life, mate. It's called life. <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, is there anything else that uh, you would like to add? Uh, um, no. It's, I it's mean, pretty thorough, isn't it? Yeah, like, there's so much in this book. Like I said, like, it's just... Yeah, I like, think it gets overlooked. No, no, it does get overlooked. It's It's, well, it's been in print forever. Yeah. You're never going to not let that happen. Right. Because everything goes back to Alan Moore. But. Right. But it just... Once again, it, uh, it, I've, I've mentioned this before on the podcast. It's when, when there's a great piece of work or a great uh, artist in whatever field... Often the people who are influenced by it are influenced by the wrong parts. Yeah. So as an example, when I first started performing in the comedy world in Australia, 
every guy I knew was trying to be Bill Hicks. Yeah. But Bill Hicks would do a routine about how we treat old people with disdain. And then the joke would be, uh, like the point would be we should, you know, give them some self-respect. And then the joke is getting them to be stuntmen in Chuck Norris movies. Yeah. Right? And so that's funny. But then every comedian I saw who was trying to be like Bill Hicks would just be like, how good would it be if old people were kicked in the head by Chuck Norris? It's like, yep. You missed the point. point. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And uh, I feel like like that's, you know, in movies, that was the dark night. I feel like, oh, movies have to be, superhero movies have to be dark and gritty. And it's like, the dark night is full of jokes. Yeah. Like, it's funny. Yeah. There's heaps of funny moments all the way through it. It's also operatic and has... Has a has a full on ending, but it's there's I'll go watch jokes. It again. I haven't watched it in a while. Oh, it's so good. like you forget how funny it is. Yeah. Um. So, and I think that's what happened with this comic. You know, we we see this exploration of these superheroes in an unsympathetic light, and 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 even though nostalgia is talked about all the way through the graphic novel, there isn't any nostalgia applied. Yeah. And then people came along and went, "Yep, you know what, Punisher." Batman, I've got to kill. <laughs> and you go, I think you yeah. uh, <laughs> uh. But um It's like you uh, didn't read it at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or you know. Hey uh, it must be um I, I, like I'm sure the uh the financial uh situation and the, the contract situation weighs heavily on Alan Moore, and I can understand why he wouldn't have anything to do with it. But I wonder if he does look back and see what came from it and thinks, oh, God, I've helped that. I mean, there's this small part of me that goes, uh, I hope Alan Moore's watching the new series. He's not watching it. Of course he's not. No. Of course he's not. No. And I respect him for not watching it. hell yeah. Yeah. He's a better man than I. Like, if I'd created something like this, and even if I'd done, taken those steps, and there'd still be that urge... I'll just check it out. Right. But, you know, I think he'd... I mean, he mightn't agree. He definitely wouldn't agree with anything that's probably going on in the show, but I think he'd enjoy it. Right. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. I, I had to... I have, I've had to mute a couple of uh, English uh, artists and uh, comic artists and writers that I've liked who have been complaining that it's too woke. And it's like... What does that even mean? I don't know. I just find that to be such a... The book, the book itself, the original graphic novel itself, is like the wokest thing ever right. It's created, a, right? Like, like, it's, well, Alan Moore is, right? like, has been exploring this kind of stuff for ages. And it's like, well, what did you want it to be? Yeah, like it is so far, like we we touched on before, it's so far ahead of its time. Like we're still talking about this. Like there's still shows coming uh, coming out about it. Like there's there's not many... Uh, creations like this that stand the test of time. Right. You know, and this is going to be, you know, you know, even today, like I said, like I was thinking, I can't wait to give this to my son. See yeah. He, you know, that next generation of readers and and what he pulls from it. There's so much social commentary in this that stands today. There's so much self-reflection about people and what kind of person you are that you can, that you can pull from this yeah. book. It's, uh, you know, it kind of is, it does hit 
There's not many books that hit that timeless status. Right. Yeah. I can't wait until I'm 70 and I read it and I tell everyone my favourite characters are Hollis and Sally. <laughs> so that's my next day. Uh, thank you for doing the podcast, Wayne. Where no can uh, people find you uh, with your podcast? It's Ooh. a basketball-based... Uh, is it is it NBL and NBA or just NBA? We are, look, we're pretty much solely been NBA for the past nine years. But yeah. we have touched... I'm a bit of a... I've been burnt by the NBL in the past, so right. but the product the last two years has been fantastic. So yep. this season we're actually covering a bit more, yep. um, of the local scene, especially with all the international imports that are now coming across. You know, and and our our talent level is quite high. So yeah, solely we're an NBA show, but we do cover a little bit of NBL now. And so, uh, the name of the podcast? It's the Courtside Podcast. You can find us at www.crtsde.podbean.com. Uh, down there, you'll find links to the shows, to our Facebook page. It's basically, the, I, I suppose the, the idea of the show is basically that conversation you'd have with your mates about basketball. Yeah. And it's recorded and it's no whole bars. Unfortunately, I recorded two Laker fans. Right. Um, you're also a Laker fan. I am a Laker fan. So that's awkward. But <laughs> <laughs> you have common sense and my co-hosts have none. Yeah, right. No, no, it's good. It's a lot of fun. We've been, you know, it's a passion project and uh, we've been around for a while now. So, yeah. And a uh, prediction for the finals? <sighs> Is it too early? <sighs> what would you like to see? Well, look, as much as it hurts me, I don't think anyone's playing as well as the Lakers right now. Right. But when the Clippers get Paul George back, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be trouble. They're going to be scary. I think uh, in the East, though, I think it's Milwaukee's to lose. Right. Yeah. I uh, There's a part of me, not just because I'm a Lakers supporter, but there's a part of me that'd like to see the 80s come back with a Philadelphia Lakers That'd be final. Awesome. Yeah. That'd be fun. That'd be pretty good. I think both teams are both not very good at shooting three-pointers, so it would be Philly, a brick fest. Philly just isn't focused. Sorry? Philly's just not focused. Mm. Like, you're supposed to... When you get bounced from a playoff series like they did last year against Toronto, you know, right. off off a miraculous bounce of the ball mm. that, that finished that series for them, like they were so close. Yeah, like it's it's funny, like you know the the bouncing of a basketball decided their fate for the rest of the season. They should have come back so much more focused, right? But they're not, and it shows. And when. I mean, when you're even when you're up against a team and you're fighting your best players fighting the opposition's center, who's yeah. you know like second tier to him, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Like, just they haven't earned their scar. They haven't earned their battle scars yet. No, not yet. <laughs> we better stop before yes. the people listening start thinking. Wait a second, <laughs> was that just a preamble for these assholes to talk about basketball? <laughs> and the answer, if I don't press stop now, would be yes. A big thank you to my buddy Wayne for joining me on this podcast. If you're an NBA fan, make certain to check out his podcast, Courtside. Next week sees the return of Alexi Toliopoulos and Rove McManus as we break down episode 8 of Watchmen, and then Siobhan Coombs returns for chapter 8 of the graphic novel. Uh, We've already recorded that, and I have to tell you right here and now, Siobhan does this amazing job of recording that whole podcast uh, while rocking a baby back and forth in one arm, standing up and holding the microphone. 
with her other hand. It was so impressive. Yeah, I felt incredibly inadequate <laughs> watching her. I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, but it's great to have Siobhan come back uh, and uh, hang out with us for that podcast. Uh, remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, please give us a nice rating on whichever platforms you use to listen. Uh, and uh, five-star ratings do help. And also, uh, we have the... Uh, the conversation page, it's a private page. You know the drill. I've, I've said this many times, but just in case you haven't gotten to the end before, uh, we have a private page where you can write and you can put up anything you want. You don't have to write spoilers. Just make sure that you, um, you know, have watched the episode before you go there. Uh, I, don't, I don't want anyone getting upset. It's like that's what it's there for. So we've got the main page, Big Squid with Justin Hamilton. That's uh, for anyone who's coming in later. And uh, But, yeah. Uh, for for anyone who wants to get into the serious chat, uh, come and join us. Anyone can join, uh, and I will try to be a little bit more aware uh, because I've been doing so much travel lately. I've been a little bit um, off the page, but I will try to make my presence more known over these last few episodes. Uh, as there are also more chapters of the novel than there are episodes of the TV series, we'll continue continue through with the remaining chapters. I've already recorded a fascinating podcast for chapter 11 with Richard Fardler. You thought uh, Richard went deep on the last one. You are in for many thumbs up as he uh, really, really gets into this. It, it was great. It was so great. Uh, I've also got a very special guest for chapter 12 which will see the end of season one of Big Squid. Who is it? Ah, oh, well, just wait. Come on. You didn't know where Dr. Manhattan was at first. You can just wait a little while to find out who this uh, guest is. Theorise away. Maybe I'll put in some little uh, hints in the next podcast. Oh, yeah, that's what I should do. I'll put in some little hints. That'll be fun. See if you can work it out. Uh, Life is about to get super busy for me. Uh, So I have one final live show uh, for 2019 at the Rhino Room in Adelaide on the 20th of December. I'm going to have a whole lot of guests there. We're going to do a year in review. Uh, my guests are going to be bringing uh, a personal story from the year and, uh, you know, whatever they want that happened in 2019. Like anything political, uh, anything from the world of pop culture, whatever. Uh, so that will be a nice, loose fun show so you can get tickets for that at adelaidecomedy.com I'm also writing two new shows one is a brand new John Tilt animus play Time is the Fire Uh, in that John and his uh, his monkey Lou uh, his toy monkey Lou must outrun uh, a, a villainous group called The Frail and the only way they can escape them is by using music as a conduit to memories So that'll be a bit strange, and that'll be a lot of fun. And then I'm also writing a straight stand-up show with the very silly title, and Hamo was his name. Oh, and that will just be loosey-goosey. So you can find details for that at the Adelaide Fringe or over at comedy.com.au. There's also a TV show coming up, which is a last-second thing, and it's literally just hit in the last two weeks, so I'm not even really allowed to announce it. Uh... So you can have a think about what that could be and who it could be about. See Lindelof, I can do, I can do little tricks too. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and I plan on having a one-off Big Squid special to start the year next year. And then uh, we'll finalise details for where this podcast will go next. Anyway, stay tuned for that. And uh, looking forward to chatting with you Oh, after episode eight. I'm so excited. What a what a great series. Isn't isn't everything really good sometimes? Like lots of terrible things, don't get me wrong, in the rest of the world, but this is this has been a uh, a real exclamation mark on, on happiness for me. So until then, look after yourself, be kind to yourself, and more importantly, be yourself. Speak soon. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.